We are going to pick up in Exodus chapter 7 today. So uh, if you have your Bible, I would invite you to turn there with us. If you don't have your Bible, we'll have the words up here on the screen. But uh, there's something about having your Bible in your hands. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some out here on, on the bookshelves that you're welcome to take. Write your name in and make them yours. We would love for you to go home today with a copy of the Bible if you would like to. So Exodus chapter 7. Uh, today we're kind of starting the plagues. And so today we're talking about the bloody water, the first plague. As I was getting ready for this morning, uh, I was working on my laptop this week. I don't know uh, if this is something that all of you have experienced, if, if this is something that happens regularly to you, but this happens regularly to me because my laptop is a little old. And so as I'm, as I'm typing along, as I'm pouring out all these amazing thoughts that, that really are not that amazing onto this, you know, laptop, a little blue box comes up that says, your battery is running low. This happened to you? So I'm in the middle of a, a really profound thought of some sort, so I can't afford, you know, to just stop and like plug in or anything like that. So I do what all of us do. I click OK, and the, and the thing goes away, right? Now, before I've made this mistake of like then getting lost in all of the what I'm thinking and doing and typing. And so three minutes later, or however long it is, but it feels like it's like 30 seconds later, but three minutes later or whatever, all of a sudden what happens? And all of the thoughts that I've had that I'm pouring onto this page are gone forever, right? Because I did not heed the warning. Now this week when that happened, when it showed up on my screen, I immediately began to look for the charger because I know my computer has like zero battery at, at all left over when it says that. And so I'm frantically looking around and there's like this, this adrenaline rush to like, am I going to find the charger in time and get it plugged in before? And then when you get it there and you're trying to like, is it on this side? Or is it on this side? And trying to get it lined up and is it going to shut down before it's And you plug it in and you're like, yes! And nobody's there to celebrate with you over this amazing accomplishment that you had. We ignore warnings all the time. Why do we do that? Why do we ignore warnings? Sometimes it's because we don't believe the warning. We don't believe the one telling us someone comes, you know, the boy who cries wolf, someone comes and tells us something and we're like, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, I had people uh, for many, many years talking about all the bad things that were going to happen and our finances and our uh, economy and our government and whatever. And, and eventually the, you kind of like, you grow a little callous to their warnings because they keep warning you about everything. They're always on high alert about everything. And you just kind of like stop believing them. Sometimes you don't believe the warning because you don't want to do, you don't want to stop doing what you're doing. You don't want to do what the warning asks you to do. You, wanna, you don't like what the warning asks you to do. You would rather keep doing what you're doing. But if you've lived any length of time and you've been aware and you're not just completely ignoring your life, ignoring warnings doesn't mean that the trouble doesn't come. Right? If it's a legitimate warning, the little blue box on your computer, that your battery's about to die, it doesn't mean that if you ignore it that the problem went away. We would like for the problem to go away. And for whatever time between wiping it away and the problem showing up, we may believe that we've made the problem go away, but reality is a stubborn thing. You cannot really mold reality just by ignoring what's happening. 
I drove home from college in Florida one Christmas break, and I've told you guys this before, some of you, but I drove home from college one time um, from Pensacola, Florida to New Jersey uh, with my brake warning light on the whole trip. Yeah. And in addition to a little red light that was in my face the whole way, my brake pedal went completely to the floorboards before it did anything, right? But see, here's the thing. I ignored that warning the whole way home because I wanted to get home. And as a 19-year-old or whatever I was, 20, I thought, no big deal. I'll just use the emergency brake. I mean, I'm driving on a highway anyway. What do I need a brake for, you know? And which all was working really well. We were driving through the night and everything was good. And, and you know, we're zipping along the road and whatever. And, and, I, and I'm figuring out like how to hold that brake release and push it. And it was, it's just really, really a good idea until we hit Washington, D.C. And it was like three hours of stop and go traffic. And I was like, you're an idiot, Mark. <laughs> this is the worst idea ever. Ignoring warnings is something we all do, but it's not a good idea especially when the warning is something that comes from God. What we're going to find today as we begin these stories of the plagues is that the plagues of Egypt are an exercise in ignoring the warnings of Almighty God. You may have ignored warnings in your life from computers or cars, but the bigger question that I have for you today is, are you ignoring or have you ignored warnings from God? Maybe you sat in a church service and you've listened to, to what's being said, or, or you've tuned into a podcast, and you've heard something, and something in your soul happened. You knew that it was a warning from God about something that you were doing that you shouldn't be doing, or something that you weren't doing that you should be doing, something about your value system, or something about your mindset, or something about something in your life that needed to be different, and you ignored it thinking it will just go away. You ever done that? Maybe you just stop listening in church because every time you come to church, you hear this stuff from God and you're like, I'm not going to do anything about it anyway. So why should I listen if I'm not going to do anything about it? Something that God is after you about. Something that needs to change. Maybe some danger that's coming if you ignore what's being said, but you ignore it anyway. Matter of fact, you look at your life and you're like, why is my life just continuously cycling through rough waters? And God, in his goodness, in his grace, somehow shows you why. And it's something about what you're doing. Something about how you're thinking, about how you're looking at it. And you just, the lights go on for a second and then you're like, nah. That would mean I would have to give up too much. That would mean I'd have to change too much. That would mean I'd have to let a dream die. I would have to let a vision die of something that I want, of something that I think, of something I think I'm right about, and I'm not willing to do that, so I just ignore it. I just push it away. Pharaoh does that in the plagues of Egypt. He ignores God's warning, and he ignores it because he chooses to believe that there's no real danger that the God of Israel can do no real damage. I mean, after all, he is the Pharaoh of Egypt. He is somebody. He is big and powerful. He is a God. And so this God of Israel, this God of the slaves, what kind of a God is a God of slaves? 
Clearly, their God is inferior to me because I am over his people. I don't need to listen to him. And so God, in the plagues, begins to warn Pharaoh, to reveal himself to Pharaoh and to Egypt, one after another. In this first one, the turning of the Nile into blood is a great example of God warning him. And a very strong pattern begins to emerge of how Pharaoh and Egypt react to God's warning. So read along with me in Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 to 18. We'll start with God declaring this plague. So verse 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the river. Confront him on the bank of the Nile. Take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink, and the Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. So God sends Moses back, Moses and Aaron, back to Pharaoh. Special note before we kind of dive into all the details of the story. The word blood in Hebrew is both the designation for blood, what we think of as blood, but it's also the name of a color. It's also used as the name of a color. And so just because the, God says the river will turn into blood does not necessarily mean it was literal human or animal blood. It may well have been just a bloody color or a red color in the river. That's not a huge deal because all that he says about it still is exactly the truth. Whatever he changed the water into, he changed it from this normally fresh and useful water into something that stunk and something that could not be used for drinking or even washing and and other normal tasks. It was something that changed the water from what it was, a life-giving source, into something that was not. Also, I want to say this. We don't read this this week. We'll read this next week. But this plague that God brings on Egypt lasts for about a week. It lasts for about seven days. Think about this. It lasts for about seven days. It gives us a sense of how God let this sign sit in front of them for seven days. This unavoidable, everyday, day in, day out sign just sit in front of Egypt in real life for a while. Sometimes people are like, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. I don't know if I missed it. If God would let a river stink for seven days so Egypt couldn't miss it. That's why I say, you don't have, God's not just going to show you his will like a flash, you know, like a subliminal message. Like, oh, I blinked. I didn't see it. Oh, no, now my life is ruined. This is not the God we serve, folks, right? And when God is warning us, he is not just going to flash it in front of us and then take it away and, and say, well, you missed it. I tried to give it to you. He is going to leave it sit in front of you for a while. Right? And every one of these plagues that show up are unavoidable warnings. And so I'm just going to, just experientially, I'm just going to say to you, for this week, every time this week that you use water for a, for a week, think about a whole week where this water well, I couldn't use, whether you drink it or you're taking a shower or 
run in the faucet to wash dishes, whatever. Think about it. For a whole week, their water was unusable. Think about how long that is over the course of this week as you use water this week. All right, so let's dive into the de details. God shows up and says to Moses, go to Pharaoh. First off, he says, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. We've seen that this is a, a discouragement for Moses, that Pharaoh will not move. His heart is hard. And it's not a surprise to God. God said this before Moses ever even went back to Egypt, but it is a cause for discouragement in Moses. So God reminds Moses, hey, listen, this is what's going to happen, and it's okay. It's all working out. It's all a part of my plan. But last week, we tried to dig into this idea. The journey that we have with following God does not mean that, that everything will fall into place. Everyone will like what's going on, and everyone will respond to what I'm trying to do. That doesn't necessarily mean I should give up doing what I'm supposed to do. It means I have to tune in to follow the Lord and not worry about the response of people. And that's hard, isn't it? When you're trying to do something to have an effect or, or make a change, when you're trying to be faithful to the Lord so that people will respond and they don't, that's hard. It's really hard when you try to serve people and then they think bad things about you. What's in it for you? And why are you doing this? And you just think you're something. And like the accusation that comes back when you've tried to help folks. That's why uh, for, for different reasons, when we talk about who people are serving, we're talking about encourage them. When you see people who are taking care of your children on Sunday morning, people making coffee, people are serving in different areas, encourage them. Respond to them. Because it it's a source that the enemy often uses to discourage people and tell people to give up. The question for us, whether people respond or not, if you've been called to serve, the question is, am I going to allow their response to discourage me and overwhelm God's calling in my life? Or am I going to get my eyes off of people and onto God? That's always a challenge. But I will tell you, it gets tiresome. And that give up is a reflection of man, I, I can't keep doing this and get rejected. I can't keep doing this and see nothing happen. I can't keep doing this. Sometimes the reason it's hard is because we keep pushing forward when God's not the one doing it. But I would say in context here, Moses is doing it because God asked him to do it. And the response, the pushback is the enemy wants to take somebody's rejection of God's call in your life and tell you just give up. Just go away. Don't give up just because it doesn't seem like it's working. Only turn back if you become convinced that God, you, you thought this was something God wanted you to do, but it turns out you maybe weren't right. And God is redirecting you, or God had you do that for a season, and now don't give up because people don't respond. Because God often calls us to, to walk a journey of faithfulness in the face of rejection from people, just like he does here with Moses and Aaron. And so he says, okay, Pharaoh's not responding. He refuses to let the people go. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go meet him at the river at his bath time. Now, we, we think about everybody gets a bath every day. Back in this time, very few people could afford the time to get a bath every day. So Pharaoh, being very powerful and wealthy, would go down to the Nile River. This was a sign of prestige. It was a sign of his wealth. It was a sign of his position, a sign of his power. But he went out every day to use the river. And before he got into court, before he was around all his, his officials, he's out here by himself. And God says to, to Moses and Aaron, go meet him down at the river. 
I want this to be personal to Pharaoh. I want you to show up in his morning routine. I want you to be in front of him and in front of like something that he just takes for granted. The river in front of him, the Nile River. I want him to see it. And I want that feeling in him about this river is way too big for anything bad to ever happen to it. This river is way too powerful. It's always here. It will never be compromised. It will never be ruined. So God sets the stage in front of the Nile River because this is where he wants to meet Pharaoh. It is a powerful way to open Pharaoh's eyes to the lie that he has been believing. He thinks God is not big enough. God is not powerful enough to do anything that really hurts Egypt. And so changing the Nile, changing their water into bloody water is a clear sign to Pharaoh that he's wrong. Because first of all, the river is huge. It is not something where you could throw a little dye, food coloring or something, into the river and like, ha ha, bloody water. It's a huge river with lots and lots of branches to it. It's something that is so big, you wouldn't even try to do something with it like that. This river turning into blood is going to be something that Pharaoh can't ignore. And the reason he can't ignore it is because it's so big and because it's right in front of him. God says to Moses and Aaron, go to him in the morning while he's in front of the river and he will watch you do this. He's not like Pharaoh's going to wake up in the morning and look out and like, huh, something seems wrong with the river. He's going to be, Moses and Aaron showed up and they did something, and now this river right in front of me turned into something else. It was in his way. It was in, front, in the way of his agenda. It was right in front of his eyes. And what happens compromises the drinking water for all humans and animals. And yet, when God does it, his, Pharaoh's heart ignores it anyway. Have you ever watched somebody do that? where like God is like all the flashing lights and the bells and whistles going to warn them. And you're like, can't you see it? And they ignore him anyway. Is that, there's a discouragement to that, right? Like, what are you doing? There's a heartbreak to that. If it's your children, if it's your spouse, if it's your parents, if it's your dear friend, and they're we're walking into trouble that God has warned them about, that they know better. They've lived through this before. They've seen this before. They should know better. When God is trying to get our attention, I can look at someone else and like, God's trying to get your attention. You should listen. But I don't really have a say about what they do. You know who I have a say about? Me. So when God is trying to get my attention, I should let him. When God is trying to get a hold of my soul, I should let him. If it's a struggle to hear God, if it's a struggle to stop, if it's a struggle when that blue light comes on my laptop to stop doing what I'm doing and respond to the warning, then I've got to remember why it's a struggle for me to listen to God in the midst of my plans and my life. We've got to acknowledge our humanity. I tend to trust my own plan. How about you? I tend to trust my own control, my own emotions, my own understanding. I naturally lean into those things. And so when God gives me a warning that asks me to stop going the direction I'm going, stop doing the things I'm doing, stop moving forward with all my plans and listen to him, and that's hard for me to do, it's because my flesh has taken over. 
My ideas have taken over. And so when God does that, a lot of times it's not so much that I'm on a wrong path. It's I'm in, I'm in a wrong mindset. I'm living from the wrong place. And because of that, I need to stop. I need to stop so I can listen to him. God does this to the Nile River because it's big. And God is going to show how much power he has. He says, I will strike the Nile. And it doesn't mean necessarily I'm going to hit it with my stick necessarily, but I am going to do damage to the Nile River. This thing that is the greatest resource of Egypt, the foundation of the civilization of Egypt, God is going to bring damage to that river. It's important for us to know the Egyptians worshipped the river. It was life-giving to them. When it overflowed its banks and, and made all the ground around it, seeped with all kinds of minerals and nutrients and whatever, and then went back to its banks, and that, that land was so suitable for farming and, and rich harvests and things like that, all of that, it was the provider of their lives. And so God, the, the Egyptians see this whole confrontation with God as a battle between the God of the Israelites, the God of the slaves, and the God of the Egyptians, the, the most powerful, or one of the most powerful nations in the world. This is the battle. And so God says, okay, if it's a battle between gods, let's start with your river. Let's see if your river is greater than me or if I'm greater than your river. So he uses that to say to them, I am the true and living God. And this river that is life-giving to you, I am going to turn it into death. It's going to be filled with dead fish. Why? Because I am the true God, not your river. So God brings death to this life-giving thing. And by the way, connecting to our story back at the beginning of Exodus, isn't this the river that the Egyptians used or the Pharaoh used to try to bring death to the Israelites? So God says, now, you did that back then. You weren't successful because they kept multiplying, right? But now I'm going to show you who's really in charge of the river. He creates a struggle for life itself from something that they never thought would be gone. God takes away from them something they never thought that they would lose, something they didn't think... Think about this in your life. Something they never thought they would lose and they didn't think they could live without. And he takes it away from them. Why? Sometimes in our lives, the why God, why'd you do that to me? Why, why are you allowing this to happen? Why did you take that away from me? I can't live without it and I never thought I would lose it. Why, would, why did God do that here? God does that so that our hope and our attention is not on this, these things that can't be our God. There are things that can't be our hope. The things that can't satisfy, they can't bring answer to us. God took away their river because it was big, because it was undeniable that this wasn't some magic trick. On another note, he made this the first plague and he did it in a way that was going to make it very clear that it was no accident. Keep going in the story because then we'll see it happen. Verse 19 down to verse 21. It says this, The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in vessels of wood. 
and stone. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died. The river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. So it happens exactly as God said. But God wanted to make sure that the Egyptians knew that this was no accident that this was not just the normal thing that happened. The truth is the Nile often turned red. It was a subtle thing that happened for a number of different reasons, for a number of different minerals or whatever. Many people who make commentary about the Bible here say, well, this was just a natural occurrence of, of the normal thing where, where the Nile turned red or a little reddish for a little while, and it just happened at an opportune time. But as you read the story, that's not what happened. As you read the story, it was something that God did and kind of went to great lengths to make sure it couldn't just be a, yeah, well, that always happens. Because it doesn't just happen to the Nile. It happens to all the water, all the bodies of water in Egypt. Did you see that? It was like, stretch your hand over the streams and the canals and the ponds and the reservoirs, and blood will be everywhere, even in vessels of wood and stone. All of the standing water in Egypt turns to blood. Not just the river or part of the river gets a little reddish. God kind of wipes away this idea that, oh, it's just something that happened. It just happened to happen at the right time. Instead, God makes it clear that this was no accident, that this is intentional, and that God is the one doing it. All the different bodies of water and even the containers were miraculously changed from fresh water into this bloody water. Specifically going beyond the water in just the Nile or waters in, in natural reservoirs. This was a miracle that God did in such a way that no Egyptian could think, huh, I wonder why that happened. They all were very clear this happened because Moses and Aaron did it. Moses' staff, or Aaron's staff is stretched out over it. It's very clear that it happens because Moses and Aaron go around and do this in front of the Egyptians. There is no confusion. There is no cloudiness. And I often talk about this in God's will, that God is a God who works in clarity. God is not a God who works in cloudiness and confusion. He is a God who works in clarity. Specifically, God's commands are clear. He says, let my people go or Egypt will suffer. And if that doesn't seem possible to you, I'm going to show you. I'm going to do it in a way where you know this is what I said is exactly coming true. Christians, all I'm saying to us is, we can look at the world that continually rejects the warnings of God and we can say, what's wrong with you? I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible for us. And so I don't want to be hypocritical and say, you guys should listen to God. I want to say, do we listen to God? How many times have there been clear instructions from God that we ignore? How many believers, just in a simple way, and this is, this is not something that's like the, the main point, but this is just an application. How many believers ignore God's command to get together faithfully at church? The problem, I mean, the world, of course, rejects God's commands. They're not following him. But we say we are. And God gives us instructions. He tells us to do certain things. He tells us to value certain things. He tells us to live certain ways. And we just blow it off. 
well, you know, I got stuff to do. I got places to go. See, well, the concern here for us to learn from is not look at Pharaoh and that evil world and how and God's going to get them. That's where we get really wrecked as a church when we take that attitude towards the world. When we're on point is when we say, look at what God did for even people that were ignoring him to make it clear to them. And if we as God's people do the same thing, how could we possibly do that? How could we possibly blow off what God has asked us to do? Maybe we've struggled in life because what we've done is pushed away God's instructions for us. If faith is how we live, if faith is our connection to God, if faith is the source of our life because our faith is what connects us to the, the Lord of life, then is pushing away faith, pushing away answers and power and hope? Do we live powerless because we ignore God, even when he faithfully is trying to get our attention. The end of this story is that the Egyptians pretty much pretend nothing's wrong. Okay? So the last couple of verses here, verses 22 to 24. But the Egyptians' magicians did the same thing by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not even take this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. This is an incredible reality that humans do all the time. You do it too. They went, well, God did that. God said that. What am I going to do about it? Option A, submit to him. Surrender, follow him. That's not an option. It's too messy, it's too hard, it's too awkward, it's too, too much would change. I don't, want, I don't want all that. So what's option B? I'll make do with what I got. It says that Pharaoh's uh, magicians imitated this. They, they were able to take water and, and turn it into blood in pots and jars and whatever. But if it was a real battle between gods, what would they have done? They would have turned the water back into water. Right? Duplicating the trick is not exactly the same as showing superiority. They would have undone the transformation. But Pharaoh takes that, that little sign, that little thing, and he says, I'm just going to go back to my palace and go on with my business. I'm going to act like nothing happened. Like God didn't speak and there's no problem. Even though all week long, there's water Useless water. And the whole land stinks because of the water that was turned into blood. Why does he do that? How does he do that? Here's why and here's how. And I'm going to tell you this because I think this, is, this affects every single day of your life. The mindset you already have affects how you hear what's happening in your life. If you're, like Pharaoh already has his mind made up that I'm greater than God. So everything he hears goes through that filter. I don't have to listen to God. I'm bigger than God. God can't stop me. That's his mindset. And regardless of these plagues, one after the other that come, he stays in that mindset. And even when he loses his grip on it for a little while, some of the bigger plagues at the end, he's like, oh, please, please stop. But he comes back to it because it's his decided mindset. I talk a lot of time to people who are struggling with doubt about 
you know, is all this real? And uh, do I just believe it because I was born in this country and, and because I was taught this growing up? Is this all real? Here's what I'll tell you. If you have faith in your doubts and have doubts with your faith, then you will go where that path takes you. Your mindset will process all that's coming in through doubt until you doubt everything and you can't be sure of anything. And you will wind up where that takes you. I don't know what to believe. I hope there's a God, but I don't know. And I can't know because I doubt and I doubt and I doubt. Your mindset, well, this is, this is fine and there's nothing wrong with this. And God, why would God take this away from me? As though you're the arbiter of what's allowed and what's not allowed. As though you're the judge of what's good and what's not. Instead of being someone who's surrendered and submitted. Your mindset will process everything that's happening in your life. Pharaohs did it and had put him on a path to real destruction. And so all of Egypt has to dig because the groundwater is their only source of water. All standing bodies of water are, are, are ruined. And so therefore, they can't drink that water, so they dig around the Nile River to find groundwater so that they can make it through the week. They find a workaround. And so do we. Some of our lives are really hard because God has given us a direction and God has asked us to do something and God has asked us to respond, but we can work around it. So we ignore it. And we muddle by by digging all the time for groundwater instead of asking God, well, God, why did you turn the river to blood? Why are you forcing me to respond? What is it that I need to do? If there's some way that we can adapt to this new reality, then I guess I don't need to listen to God's message, except you do. It is a devastating path, and it is what I want to warn you about today. If there is someone you need to apologize to, do it. If there's some, the Bible's very clear about forgiveness, isn't he? The Bible's very clear that we are called to forgive. If there's someone you need to forgive, forgive them. If there's something you need to do that God has made clear to you to do, stop putting it off. Let's get serious. If there's something you need to stop because it's not God's direction and instruction in your life, stop it. I don't care if you're old or young. I don't really care if you're married or single. I don't care what, you, what conditions are going on in your life. If the Spirit of God is spoken to you about something, submit to God. Learn the lesson Pharaoh did not learn. People of God, we cannot wag our fingers at the Egyptians without taking this lesson to heart. And that's what I'm asking you to do today. Because this plague really is a warning shot. Really powerfully a warning shot. Because this plague ends up in death. Not the death of people, but the death of the, the, the sea life. And, it, and that death touches every household in Egypt. Because a lot of their food supply comes from the river. And so the death of the food supply in the river makes it hard for Egypt to eat. It touches every household in Egypt. And bloody water, I, don't, I can't help but think about the end of all of this. Where there's an army of Egypt that goes into water and is destroyed. It's a harbinger. It's a, it's a shot across the bow. It's a telltale. This is what's coming. It's a hint at what God is about to do. And God warned Egypt. And God showed Israel his warning because Egypt didn't have to end up where they did. Pharaoh didn't have to end up where he did. And you don't have to end up 
where ignoring God's warning will take you. But you have to stop pushing him aside. What I'm saying today is if God is after you, listen to him. Listen to him. And here's how I want to close today. I want to give us a minute to have a conversation with God before we walk out the doors. And I want to read you a, a couple of verses from Psalm 139 as a prayer. And this prayer, if you, will, if you will embrace it, is a prayer that says, God, I'm opening up to you. I want to hear what you think about what's going on in my life. Show me where things need to be different. Show me where things need to change. And I will listen to you. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes. I'm going to read this psalm, then we're going to just be quiet for a, a few seconds so that you can have this conversation with God. And if this is you, as I read this psalm, this can be the prayer of your heart. These are the words of David. It says, search me, God. Know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Father, many souls have cried out to you in this moment, maybe opening up in a way they haven't been open before. Maybe the busyness of life or the stresses of life have kind of closed us off and we didn't even realize it. And right now we've come with an open heart. God, I know you are rushing in to this moment with people. I pray that you would do your work in us. As we've asked you to search us, that you would show us what you see that you would help us to hear you clearly in a new way. And that, Father, you would give us the strength and the faith to follow you and to follow through on this. There are things that should never be the same because of the prayer we just prayed. I know the enemy would want to come and snatch this away. Father, hold him back this tender moment for many souls, I pray, Father, that you would establish a new direction for lives that have been going the wrong direction just because we were ignoring you and ignoring your warnings. So, Father, let this take root. Teach us how to hear you, how to follow you, how to trust you, how to live as yours. I pray, Father, we will take these things to heart, that you will establish them in our souls, that they will change the way we live. We give these things to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.